1: Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today I've got Aaron Amuchasteghi here and he's going to tell us all about his experience here in Austin. Hey Aaron, how are you?
0: Hey, good afternoon, Jordan. I'm glad I could get on here to to chat with you. I think it's it's awesome what you've been doing and just trying to focus on, on
1: where you're investing. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. So real quick, tell everybody who you are and how you were involved with real estate investing. Yeah, it's such an
0: open-ended question, right? So the, um, so I'm Aaron Muchostegi. I live in Austin, and when I first started investing out here in Central Texas, I wasn't living in Austin. I was living in other states, and I would fly out here once a month and buy houses. And the biggest draw to, uh, Aust- uh, to the Austin area at the time was houses were inexpensive, and you could buy a house for hundred thousand dollars, and you could rent it for twelve hundred. And in a lot of the outskirt areas of Austin, you know, like 30, 40 miles around, you know, from the city center, we'd say like, I, I'm like, prices will never go up out here, but at least I'll get some really good cash flow. And what we've seen in the last six months, in the last year, prices go up everywhere right now. So I got really lucky on that nice safe bet. Uh, and it turned out better than I thought. I started, um, I grew up in construction. My dad was a builder. I worked for a home builder um, in 2005, high of the housing boom. I ran a, an operation in Southern California of building production houses. So my experience was building new homes. Housing market crashed, I started buying foreclosures in 2009. Did flips for a lot of years. And uh, now I do, for every 10 houses I buy, it's usually nine of them I'll keep as rentals and one of them I'll flip. I still love flipping. Flipping is the most fun thing I've ever done. Uh, it's not always the, and it's a really good way for short cash. I'm thinking more about long game stuff right now. So on occasion I'm like, Oh, I should keep that instead of sell it. Oh, I should keep that instead of sell it. But it's always a kind of painful, uh, experience because flipping is fun. Fast money is fun. And it's almost like the grown up version is renting instead for, for me
1: right now. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were out of state and correct me if I'm wrong, you were in California and you started investing in Austin here, and you guys wrote a great book called Bidding to Buy, and I think that's probably some of how you got here. You yeah. started buying courthouse auction.
0: Yeah, so the so 2005 to 2009, it's like a home builder at the height of the housing boom in California. And then near you know 2008, we had to lay off 70 people, there was like five of us left because all of these new homes we had built at the time were upside down. Housing market had driven up, then it started crashing, Rates were getting raised. All sorts of things caused that crash. In 2009, we were scrambling to try to figure out what to do. We couldn't build new houses anymore. We were trying to buy foreclosures on the MLS. And it was like, we couldn't get into that business. Everybody was doing it. Um, We discovered courthouse step investing, where you buy a foreclosure on the courthouse steps before it becomes an REO. When we started that in 2009, there was three people at the courthouse in Sacramento doing it against us. Hundreds of houses selling. And only three of us there, we would all show up and spend whatever money we showed up with that day. We were never going home with that. It was like we would spend, we would buy houses until we ran out of money. And then we're like, okay, we ran out of money. And then we'd go find more and we'd come back tomorrow. It was not very competitive. There wasn't any books on how to do it. Um, when I in like twenty from like 2009, 2012, bought and sold over a thousand houses on the courthouse steps uh, within that like hundred mile radius of, of Austin around 2012, a lot, every year, more people were getting into it. But when I, when I got put out of business in 2012 out there, instead of three people bidding on hundreds of houses, and this is every single day. In Texas, it happens once a month. In California, it happens every day. Um, instead of three people bidding on 100 houses, it, there was like 100 people bidding on three houses. So instead of getting deals on stuff, it was selling for way too much. My long story short is I was, you know, I was flying out to Texas to go. I bought an apartment out here as a fluke. I was flying out to check on another apartment that an agent had sent me for sale. I saw that it was scheduled for foreclosure. I flew out to buy it at auction. When I got out here, I got scared. I got cold feet cause I hadn't bought it, successfully bought it auction for like a year or two at the time. But when that happened, I looked around and after the apartment sold, behind me, this guy, this trustee was selling off houses that nobody was bidding on. So he sold like 30 houses behind me, like 50 grand a piece. And I'm from California where the houses were $500 million a piece that I was bidding on. And I thought, Oh my God, this is another market. So next month I flew out, I drove houses, did the title on them. And it was just like, it wasn't in, in California in 2009. There was only a couple of people there bidding. There was a lot of houses going to sale um, and not com- no competition in that. And uh, And yeah, so that's, that's why I started coming out to Texas. It was really because auctions were my niche. It was a unique place where it felt like it was, underdeveloped and
1: uh, became my focus. So it sounds like, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like you kind of got started here on accident. You know, you were buying an apartment here or looking at an apartment here and came here and saw all these great opportunities. But, so how about now? I know you live in Austin now. Why do you continue to invest in the Austin area now when prices have gone up so much, like you just said?
0: Yeah, it was totally accident. Like, totally came out here on accident, and it became like I would come more and more. And I still wasn't planning on on living here. But the one of the things I noticed when I got put out of business in twenty twelve is, is I'd flipped a bunch of houses and I only had cash to show for it. And when that market changed, it, you know, I wanted this time I wanted to be able to keep houses instead. So Austin became really good kind of long term bets. It was still mm-hmm. a, a place where even though auctions are getting more competitive they're not as competitive as other parts of the real estate industry out here right now. Like if you put a house on MLS, there's going to be 10 offers on it at auction, (laughs) even though there's less houses going to auction right now, there's still not 10 people bidding on every house. It's just the, it's just still a little bit tougher um, of a business, but I mean, man, I am very bullish on Austin long-term people are moving here all the time. There's a huge kind of premium to it though the weather is extreme. So I'd say the only downside is there's certain times of the year where the weather is not fun, but like right now it's, it's springtime, man. It's going to be 85 degrees this afternoon. I can go golfing. Like it's uh, there's, there's some seasons that I do like that are longer here than they are in other places that I've lived businesses. You know, Texas is very business friendly. California was very not business friendly. If you had employees in California and you paid them $20 an hour, it would cost you $40 an hour to employ them. It was just that much with all of the extra taxes and everything. So anytime you paid somebody, if you're going to pay somebody a fifty thousand dollars salary, it was going to cost you hundred thousand dollars a year to do it. Wow. And um, and they were just it was just really hard. A lot of little business things were hard. It kind of, Texas is not like that. Texas is way more business friendly. Austin has a lot of growth happening, and the more growth that comes into a city, where as they're trying to build, they're building out the soccer teams now, other things. So a lot of fun, exciting things happening here, which will cause more people to want to live here. Mm -hmm. The more people that want to live here, the more kind of amenities and other things uh, they'll grow out. So that's 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 why I'm I'm big on Austin now. That's why that's why I live here now. Um, I still don't get to buy too many houses in the heart of Austin because the heart of Austin is the most expensive. Mm -hmm. And the heart of Austin will be great for flips, um, not as good for rental cash flow, great for long term equity plays.
1: So, yeah, so we're you know, you, you pointed out a lot of good insight here. There are great strategies to invest in real estate or make money in real estate in Austin right now if you're in the Austin area. So if you're 15, 20 minutes from downtown, it's a great time to flip, it's a great time to uh, build new. Um, It's probably not the best time to invest in single family rental properties in downtown Austin. But I know you've got some other strategies that are working for rental properties in the Austin area. Um, what initially attracted you to this longer term buy and hold? So I know you were making a lot of money building. sounds like you've done a ton of flips, but now it seems like the majority of what you're doing is on the long term buy and hold. So, you know, from what you said, 90% of what you do is for the long run.
0: Yeah. And that, and that was part of what I learned from the story before. Like I had flipped a thousand houses. I had made a ton of money, but when those other, when all of a sudden there was a hundred people at auction, I had tons of employees and company cars. My overhead was really high. And when I stopped being able to buy houses, I lost all that money that I had made. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking back going, I flipped a thousand houses and I have very little to show for it. If I would have just kept a hundred of those, I'd be set for life. And that became that mindset. So when I started going to auctions again, it was like, hey, let's just not flip everything for the short term. Flip enough to pay the bills, to have the lifestyle. But whenever I can afford to keep something for the long term, Um, That's really just that idea of, uh, we call it horizontal income, like retirement type income. If you buy a house for $100,000 and you rent it for $1,200, you get an $800 loan on it. Every month you make 400 bucks on that house. Now that isn't enough to really, you know, write home about, and maybe it's 200 bucks you make on that house. But if you do, if you buy three houses every single month and you do that, and I've been doing that since 2015, right now I've got a few hundred of them. And so when you get to start adding up, you know, a few hundred bucks a piece and you have a few hundred houses, then that monthly income becomes pretty significant. Even though at a time it was like I did, and I did it every single month since 2015, where I'd be buying some and some months I'd buy 15 or 20 and some months I'd buy one or two, but it was just being consistent and consistently getting more. So now it has added up. I know when people get started in renting, they're like, well, you don't make very much money in this. It's like, Well, no, not really. And then every once in a while, you get the big old bonus. So these areas that are outskirts of Austin, which are the tertiary, more affordable places, you know, kind of the the worker areas. I bought there saying, hey, this house will never gain in value, but I'm going to make my 200 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get away from the crazy ups and downs and get that 200 bucks a month. And then what I've, but in the last couple of years, I've gotten super lucky. The houses that were never supposed to appreciate are worth twice what they were when I bought them. And so it was like this crazy bonus. Real estate is one of those few things that you could actually have a total solid investment making your two or 300 bucks a month and maybe you'll get lucky and all of a sudden a house you bought for 100,000 will now be worth 200,000. And you're like, whoa, phenomenal, (laughs) fantastic. When you add that up to 20 houses, 30 houses, a few hundred houses, it's pretty cool. So now there's Austin, there's like a few different strategies and um, I would like to get more into the, I think there's gonna be a, Um, anything that is a higher end product in Austin, if you find something on the water or these real high end neighborhoods, these really, really big giant houses, you think the people that are coming to spend a lot of money in Texas are coming from these other states. So if you could find some of those areas where the neighborhoods resemble the giant ones from there, the million, the 2 million, the $3 million houses in Austin, I am super bullish on those right now. And so I've been trying to look at ways that I could buy some of those. And keep them for a certain amount of time. Now, if you rent one of those, you're actually gonna have like a negative cash flow. You might yeah. like, you know, your your mortgage might be six or seven grand on it, and you might be renting it for four or five thousand dollars a month. Now, that's a bet. That's a risky bet. Not what I usually do, but it is a strategy that for people that started investing in San Francisco 20 years ago, really paid off. They would buy real estate. They would take negative cash flow every month. They put a little bit into it every month and then every, you know, couple of years they'd make an extra million dollars on it's like they're losing $10,000 a month but they're making a million dollars a year. And so, uh, I think that Austin is going to get there on some different products. So the really high-end unique stuff, I would like to find some ways to buy some more of that, and, but that's like single family rentals up. And maybe there's even some more affordable stuff. You know, there's some 4 and 500,000 dollars rentals near downtown like 5 miles south of Zilker downtown. Like there's some on the market right now, you know, they'll only rent for a couple thousand dollars a month. So they're not quite cash flowing if you have to get a loan on them. But again, if you're looking at some of those areas long term, you're like four or five years from now with the demand that's coming in, uh, you might not make any normal cash flow. But if but if prices double again over five years, then you're going to get this 20 percent you know, return on your money. Um, the other thing that's throwing that in right now is kind of the belief in future of inflation. When a Mm -hmm. lot of money is getting printed, dollars are worth less. And one of the strategies that I'm trying to put into place right now is debt. So the more debt you take on with inflation, I'm sure you've probably talked about it on here a lot, but it's kind of like everyone says what I used to be able to buy for a dollar. Like I used to be able to buy this for a dollar, and now I used to be able to get a Whopper for a dollar, and now a Whopper is $3, right? Like that's the example of natural inflation that happens. But the coolest thing about real estate loans is you can get a, you can buy a house in, you can buy that $400,000 house in Austin. You could have a $2,500 a month payment for it. And maybe you're losing $500 a month right now, but next next year, you're gonna raise that rent from 2,000 to 2,200. The next year, you're gonna raise it from 2,200 to 2,400. Every year, you're gonna raise it another 200 bucks. So three or four years from now, you're, you're gonna be making $3,000 a month on that house. The mortgage is now 2,500. And later the money is gonna be worth less. So making a $3,000 payment five years from now is not gonna feel as painful as making a $3,000 payment today. So doing some long-term stuff because of the amount of inflation I think is gonna be caused from all the stimulus, getting you know any long-term interest loan, you're gonna be paying it back with cheaper money later. Um, the ways that you can make money right now that I'm getting finding my most success with. So I am bullish on closer to Austin, just knowing that you get less cash flow with those. And so you need to have more money or it is a little bit riskier with the time with if when the music stops in the game of musical chairs, if it stops. For the longest time, I thought we were going to see a crash soon. I think right now there's so much government intervention um, that the I don't know how long I'm going to make a bet for. But I feel like a year from now, stuff is going to be worth more than it is today. Uh, And if you always just kind of assess like where we headed uh, with that. Lately, I've been buying um, a lot of new build construction stuff and a lot of new build construction stuff when it comes to market. New build duplexes, you know, small new build single family, stuff that doesn't make the same. So the difference would be if I buy a new home, if I buy a a resale house for one hundred thousand dollars. I used to be able to rent it for $1,200, but right now the market's a little tighter. I could still buy a, a new house for $100,000 and rent it for $1,000. Mm-hmm. And by saying new, it's not like a resale. I could buy a house for $100,000, rent it for 1000 that 1% rule. If you're getting a new construction house, you, you know, for every $100,000 you spend, you're only going to be able to rent it for maybe eight or nine hundred. But so you're not making a, as high a rent on it, but at new construction, you got a warranty for a couple of years. You're not going to have any of those extra expenses. A house that's 20 years old, you might have $100 or $200 a month in fix-up. The thing that people always forget, the new homes, you don't have it. So you get a little bit more aggressive on new homes for those. Your rent can be a little bit lower, but it's a much easier to manage. And right now, the more houses we get, the more we're trying to figure out how do we make this easier. We don't need the same amount of cash flow anymore. Now we need it to be easier. So I found a great strategy in finding you know smaller home builders. And not the Lennars, not the KBs. It's really tough to get a deal from a national builder, but some of the smaller ones that are just coming to market, the nationals also have enough money that they can like they can they can hold 50 houses and not care. They have the construction to it. Smaller builders have a loan enough to like do their six or eight houses release. And they aren't going to get a loan to do their next development until they get those in escrow. So those are the guys that are unique in the sense of I said, hey, I'll buy all eight of these right now they can now get approved to do their next construction project. It's a bigger value to them than it is to the big builder. So you find small builders that are doing projects of five, 10, 20, making offers on those right away and turning those into rentals. And, you know, it's, it's just going to be a lot easier. There's going to be less, the biggest, the toughest part about renting is the maintenance right now because there's such a high demand for housing that we are, we do not have occupancy issues that we had a year ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting strategy because you're, you're taking their problem, which is I need to sell these houses to get the loan to do the next one, saying, hey, I would love to buy all of your houses at this right price for me. Um, I'll buy them all. Here you go. You can get started on the next one. It's really where the money is made as a builder a lot of times is how fast can you do projects? So, yeah, and
0: some people say, like, why would they? Why would the builder sell it right now? Why would they sell it to you on opening day at, at a, you know, why would they not want to sell it slower? Because if, if KB Homes goes to sell, they're going to release seven houses and their next release, they're going to raise the price. Yeah. Their next release is going to, going to raise the price. The smaller construction projects would happen all over Texas, all over within 50 miles of Austin. They, they just don't have the same option. They've got five to eight houses to sell. They want to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. and they're, they're just looking like, yeah, let's, let's get this thing under contract rather than having eight different homeowners. Now they have one, uh, makes it a little, little bit easier to track for them too. And, uh, and yeah, their problem was, uh, you know, and the, the other really cool thing about buying a new home is you get to lock in a price today for something that isn't going to be done for 60 or 90 days. Yeah. In 90 days, I've had a few of these and, and, and I, ha- I haven't bought, I bought a ton of these lately. Like we have either like, 60 or 80 duplexes that we have in escrow right now. So 100, 120, 160 units that we're adding in the next 60 to 90 days. But we've had them in escrow for a couple months. Well, after we got them in extra, escrow, construction prices went way up. Mm-hmm. You know, Sales prices have gone up again. The day that we close on them, we will probably have, let's say, 20 or 30,000 in equity on each unit. Plus, we'll be able to get that cash flow that we were hoping, which isn't as good as the other cash flow, but we're still operating at a really at a net six cap uh, on, on most of them with the built in equity.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So, Aaron, you have a ton of experience, obviously, investing in the Austin area, too. So you've done a lot of flips in Austin area and also California could you tell our listeners just something you look for that's caused you trouble in the past? So maybe a a bad deal you had, I know you've done a ton of flips. I know you've seen a ton of this, but something you've seen that you would tell everybody always to look out for, Hey, watch out for these foundation cracks or watch out for this when you're doing your due diligence.
0: Yeah. The uh, settlement cracks are a bigger deal in Austin than anywhere else in the world I've ever done business in. It used to be like you could buy something and it had a foundation issue and you're like, all right, I'll pay, I'll pay this foundation person $10,000 and they'll certify it and warranty it for a few years. And it's not going to be bad anymore. Those are deal breakers for us now. And that's because we have six different, six different properties that we bought. After we bought it, we did a foundation edit to, you know, we did a foundation upgrade to them. We got a warranty from somebody all six of them have sunk and had issues again. And all six of those people that we went to, to go back on their warranty a couple of years later are not in business and their bond and the insurance they provided, isn't going to pick up the bill. So the, so we're doing these foundation, this foundation leveling again. And so what we're learning is it's really hard. So there's no amount of money that I'll buy a house now, if there is major foundation cracks on the inside or the outside, you can, you know, I've seen people go roll the golf, put the golf ball on the ground and see it rolling in the house. Like that's a common thing out here to see if something's sinking or not, like go to the edge of a house, put a golf ball on the ground in the corner of it. If it rolls to the other side of the house, the house is slanted and, and probably not something that you want to worry about. So, um, but the biggest thing that, um, so that's with the house itself, but one thing that you have no control over that impacts values more than anything else is the neighbor's. If, there is, if you go in the backyard and the neighbors have a crazy dog that's trying to chew through the fence all the time, that's like crazy and scary, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to sell that house. There are certain things that kill a value and it's less about the house itself and it's more about where the house is. If the house is next to a sewer treatment plant, I've had one of those and thinking, oh, I could put a 10 and a $20,000 value and it changes it. No, there are some things that there's no value that makes it better. You know, there was a, a house that that we bought out in um, El Paso, and there were these giant dogs that were just ripping through the fence all the time. And every time you'd walk into the backyard, you would be like afraid for your life, like if those dogs yeah. broke through. No one was going to buy that for any amount of money that we put. No one even wanted to rent it unless they had crazy giant dogs themselves, or they didn't have kids or families or anything else. So, I would say the houses itself, like a lot of the auction, the foreclosure auctions we're buying, we're looking at them in 10 seconds. We're driving up to them because we're driving by 100 houses that day. We're going to look, is the HVAC system there? Is the roof there? Is there any settlement issues? And what's the kitchen look like? And if you know what the kitchen looks like and um, what the roof looks like in the HVAC system, you can get a pretty good guess of this house is going to spend, I'm going to spend five grand, 10 grand, 25 grand on fixing this thing up. So those are the main things that you can kind of create your own spreadsheet and go oh if the kitchen's great or the kitchen's not the kitchen's not it's going to be between five and 20 grand depending on the neighborhood mm-hmm. um, but those are the things that we quickly look at if i look at the age of a house and pictures of it, and i see those four or five things i can assess whether or not i want to buy it if it's a foundation issue it's an issue no matter what but way more importantly that i think people don't talk about enough is who your neighbors are impacts the value more than anything else or what or where the house is in the neighborhood you know, what's it back up to, what's across the street? Is there a major highway behind or next to it? And that makes um, that makes pricing houses in downtown Austin really difficult. As people start to look at, there's so much like rebuilding going on and there's so mm-hmm. much like gentrification type stuff. And it makes it hard in some neighborhoods to be like, hey, this house is listed for 400,000 and this house is four houses away and it's selling for a million. Can I buy the $400,000 one and sell it for a million? Or not. And sometimes the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's like, well, no, when you're on this side of the road, instead it's this school. Or when you're on this side of the road, it's this school. Or no, when you're over here, you see this different or hear this different. Or no, this one is selling like that because of the neighbor, or because of those other things. So in the areas where houses are like one of the where I really like to focus is houses built in the last 20 years because it's a lot easier to assess the value of something. When you go into some of those older neighborhoods. Especially you know in Austin, there's a lot of them where you start looking at houses built before 2000. Comping what it's going to resell for becomes such a bigger guess. It's so much harder because there's some special things about some of those specialty neighborhoods. But but if you're from Austin, you're an agent in Austin, you're an investor in Austin. If you find a special niche like that, you find a little neighborhood that you know in and out. Like that becomes your advantage. Like no buying foreclosures on the courthouse steps. That's my skill set. That's my advantage. I know I'm better at it than a lot of people. Uh, you may find that you're going to know more about a certain neighborhood than anybody else. And you've got an opportunity to figure out if that $400,000 house is worth it or not or condos. There's like some condo projects downtown that you could be like the same floor plan in the condo is will sell for 700,000 or 2 million, depending on what floor or what corner of the building. So Mm -hmm. the, the way you figure that out is by you got to be the guy that sells the building and knows it all. It's a lot tougher to be a guy going to invest in there and be like, well, why would this, pl- this same floor plan sell for 2 million at 700? Why wouldn't I buy the 700? So uh, specialty stuff is hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you talked about, it's about your neighbors too. So I bought a house in East Austin back in 2018 and just had a bear of a time renting it, it was a rental because the neighbors sat across the street all day, drank, carried on, had 10 cars on the street, playing music real loud, just kind of scary to some of the younger people who are looking to move in. And, you know, that kind of stuff can absolutely hurt you on both ends. If you're going to sell it or if you're going to rent it, you need to take that into consideration. So with the foundation, um, obviously you're just driving by these houses. You're not getting in them. What are you doing to assess the foundation from the exterior? So I'll,
0: a lot of times you could see some form of shifting or cracking from the outside, even if it's just really quickly like running around and looking at the outside. If there's a foundation problem, there's more than likely giant cracks in the brick uh, facade if it's there, or you could see that there was a patching of it or a patch patching of the stucco. Small cracks are normal. They say if there's a crack that you can um, that you can't fit a quarter in, it's normal. So some people will see these pretty big cracks, but if you can't fit a quarter inside it, you go, okay, it's not actually as bad as I think it is. But if you could fit a quarter in it, that's a major crack. That's a major mm-hmm. structural issue. And so you can visually see a lot of that. Um, so the sometimes you'll see cracked windows if it's really, really bad. But most of the time, you're going to see patches or cracks that you could fit a quarter inside of. Um, looking around the outside of the foundation, outside of the walls, you won't have a, especially like when I'm buying at auction, it's, we're especially not going to see something that was recently recently patched, the like, like really really well. If you're buying something on MLS, it's got, it might be a little harder to determine that. But on MLS, you can at least take the time to get it take the time to get it uh, an inspection, sure. to figure it out. Because if somebody's going to put on MLS, they're going to patch that stuff first. and They're going to do a really good job at it. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about buying at auction, when it comes to those things, is people are not going to spend the five thousand bucks to patch some cracks when they're about to get their house foreclosed on. Um, so yeah, so the, yeah, if you can fit a quarter inside the crack, it's too big. And for me, then I'm out.
1: Absolutely. That's great insight. And yeah, for everybody listening, when you are buying on the MLS, I do recommend getting a foundation inspection. It's only about 300 bucks. It's a non-biased person. It's going to come by and tell you the actual condition of the foundation and not try to sell you some repairs. So great, great thing to do when you're inspecting the property. So Aaron, what's, What's one thing you would tell newer investors here in the Austin area that are looking to get into, let's say, buying buying new builds outside of Austin or just buying buy and hold in the area? Yeah, the
0: that's the best advice I would say is you just got to go try it and you got to go do it. You make more money on the buy than you ever make on the sell, though, right? Like It, it just means that it's really – when I say just go do it, it's a tough time to buy a property right now because there's so many offers coming in. So if you're new at this, you're trying to find a spot, then I would try to find a spot where there's a little bit less competition. And the further out you get from Austin, the less competition there is. And you can still find some pretty darn good deals. Cause what will happen to the same, those same buyers that can't buy in Austin right now that are getting outbid six months from now, they're going to be spreading out to a little bit further. And so the, um, so I would say trying to find markets that aren't as competitive. Uh, if you're going to get into rentals, the newer type construction is great. Or if you're a really handy person, if you want, if someone wants to, the other extreme to that is if somebody has a lot of time on their hands, they're like, hey, I want to buy a house and I want to do all the, all the work myself and I've got time to really like do that. Then getting an, an older house at a deal, I think there's a lot of, a lot of great opportunity for. But you know, just getting started, making but making sure that you buy at the right price because there's only so much you can do to make the house better. You know, there there's some places later, and then also when you're trying to look at values, make sure you look really closely at what spec levels are. You never want to end up with the house that's the most expensive one in the neighborhood because there be there a, a ceiling. House prices aren't linear where if, if you can get a $200,000 house at worth 200, a 2,000 square foot house worth 200,000, right? You know, hundred bucks a square foot. If you get up to three 3,000 square feet, it's not gonna be a $300,000 house. It's, it, it, it's not a straight line. It's more like the old geometry MX plus B equation, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes in a straight line, but your 3,000 square foot house may be worth 250, you know, even though your 2,000 square foot house is worth 200. And so making sure that you look at the, pr- the pricing that's out there, and that you don't want to be the most expensive house in a neighborhood. So you don't want to have a 4000 square foot house in a neighborhood full of 2000 square foot houses. Uh, and you don't want to do something where you're like, well, if I do a really, really j- good job fixing this up, maybe I'll be able to sell for more than any other house in the neighborhood. I like being average, find the house that's average, you know, find the house that's that's the better value in the area and then try to get started.
1: Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Love that advice. So, for Austin, your general advice to people is look further out. I think that's my general advice too. Hey, you can find stuff that makes sense. It's probably just not within 15, 20 minutes of downtown. Um, or areas where you're a specialist,
0: right? Yeah. They're, like get further out or an area that you just know really well. Like there are some people that like grew up in a certain neighborhood and they can tell you like, no, the houses on that end of the block are so much cooler because in the morning they have this view. Or at night yeah. they have it. There are certain things that the that knowing the inside track will definitely impact Austin value. So you either got to know a secret in a really in a highly competitive area, or you got to go where there's less competition. And that's where you go further out. I every we listed houses for sale. Uh, this week, and everything that we listed was, um, you know, multiple offers, five offers, 10 offers getting it, you know, it, it is really, really crazy. And even though we're pricing them higher than anything else. So way too much competition to buy right now. So you got to know a secret to go somewhere where there's less.
1: Sure. Yeah, so I think, you know, the vice is different. If you just moved here, look further out. If you grew up on the east side, you know, and you know everybody in that neighborhood, you don't know everybody in every street, probably stick with that. But also, um, I think it matters a lot what your strategy is and what your strengths are. So if you're looking for buy and hold rentals, maybe you're looking further out. But if you're looking to flip, being in Austin might not be a bad thing. Yeah,
0: the uh, the other kind of funny thing right now is the market feels like it's still going up. I think mm-hmm. that there's a way better chance that six months from now, a year from now, it's going to be better. So if you're just getting started in, in flipping, maybe buying house in Austin and fixing it up yourself is a great, there's a lot of room for error right now. I think it's going to make a yeah. lot of flippers look smart. If you accidentally take two months longer than you were going to, it's just the, the price, the house, there's a good, this is bad advice in normal times, but it's tough to ignore it right now. So depending on when you're listening to this, I do not bet on, I do not believe in betting on the come or betting on the future or betting on increases. But if you had a house right now, go to market, or you have one that's not ready and it goes to market in two months, it will sell more for more two months from now. So if you want to start flipping, getting into a place like Austin where the demand is really, really strong, there's gonna be a lot of things that if you do them wrong and learn from them, you're gonna the market's gonna help you out more than it normally would. Absolutely. Like, wouldn't that be funny? Like you get, you, you hire the wrong contractor, you overpay. It takes you an extra four months to bring it to market. And then you're like, Holy cow. Houses are selling for 50 grand more than they were four months ago in this neighborhood. And that we are seeing that I had an offer from open door on a house. So I have a house that I own down in uh, Buda, which is just not very far from Austin. It's like Mm -hmm. a 15 minute drive. Right. Yeah. I bought it for two something. Um, I bought it for, maybe I bought it for 175 about 18 months ago. Then I tried to sell it as a, as a foreclosure auction. I tried to sell it to open door. They offered me 220 or 225 at the time. I said, no, I kept it as a rental. They emailed me a month ago and said, Hey, housing market's gone up. We'll offer you 405 or 406 now for that house. So 225, 18 months ago, 405. Now I don't reply. i talk about it on my podcast. I put about, I put it on Instagram and then again like a week ago they sent me another one and say hey we'll offer you 435 for that house right now so the in just a 2 month period they went from 405 to 435 in 18 months they went from 225 to 405 like that's stupid that's like not a normal thing right now so yeah it'd be oh maybe if i since i accidentally, since i screwed up and didn't reply to my email now their offer went up even higher if i want to sell it so uh, that's how weird the market is if you're within you know, 20, 30 minutes of Austin right now.
1: Yeah, I think the market's just crazy in Austin. And I do think you're right. I believe inflation is going to hit us hard here soon. Um, I have a buddy who sold a used car back to the dealership he bought it from for $5,000 more than he paid for it six months ago. Stuff like that just makes absolutely no sense to me. So, you know, prices of everything are going up. Austin's a very desirable place to be it's hard to wonder why the prices are going to go anywhere but up in the near future.
0: Yeah. Really, really funny times right now.
1: Yeah. Really interesting stuff. So Aaron, I know you just put out a book called bidding to buy, but what's your favorite business or mindset book that you like to read?
0: Uh, I haven't read it often, but the one that totally changed the way that I looked at money was rich dad, poor dad. And even though Mm -hmm. it's been a lot of years, it is still the fundamental to the way that my brain shift happened and the way that I think about money and business and things like that. So I think most people have read it, but if you haven't, haven't, you got to read rich dad, poor dad. If it's mindset stuff, I'm also a big fan of the miracle morning yeah. and, and the four hour work week. So the, those are two books that really changed also really changed my life and how I run my businesses. So, um, you know, the miracle morning is about getting up early and doing some things that help you really, if you're your best health, if you're your healthiest and most on point, you're going to be more efficient in business. The four hour work week talks to you about how to be more efficient in business. Uh, and so those are those are super, super helpful for non real estate, but business related. Definitely my favorites. And then, um, you know, on on a, on a on two cheesy plugs. My wife and I have a book called The Five Hour School Week. The uh, we're big into unschooling and homeschooling. And we pulled our kids out of school a few years ago, started traveling. So if you're interested in some fun stuff like that, that's a great book. And our more recent one, you talked about bidding to buy and how to buy foreclosures on the courthouse steps. I think it is an epic real estate book. Now I know I wrote it, right. But I put, I put my heart and soul of all of my secrets into there. Like how to comp houses, how to comp houses in these tougher neighborhoods, like, how to really dial that bid in to win the stuff that has made me buy more houses than anybody else at auction. And so it doesn't, there's a couple of the chapters are pretty much only related to foreclosure auctions, but everything else, like how to, how much figure out how to pay, how much to pay for a property, how much you're going to sell it for, how to rehab it, how to organize those teams. Like it's a beginning to end thing. And the more, Things when we're getting on talking to people and giving them tips, I'm like going here. Here's a whole chapter of it, and I'm just wanting to like send them chapters and saying all of my secrets are right here. And we did a really, really good job at it. So I, I think it's a great real estate book for people, even even if they don't do the two chapters on foreclosure.
1: Yeah, really enjoyed your book there too. Um, and and back to the rich dad, poor dad, and miracle morning. Both of those are series too, where there's quite a few different variations. So if you love the miracle morning, there's numerous other miracle morning books you could pick up and you're just going to see it from different perspectives mm-hmm. i think i've probably read four of them um the rich dad poor dad series i don't know how many books there are but there's a lot so if you like those books dig in there's more there yeah. so aaron i know your book's an awesome way to learn more about what you do so bidding to buy everybody should absolutely pick that up like aaron said even if you're not buying foreclosures off the courthouse steps. It's a great book, and you're going to learn a lot. But what's another way people can get a hold of you, Aaron?
0: Yeah. So the the way that people can reach out to me, there's a few. If people like email, then uh, Aaron at FLS Online. That's it stands for Foreclosure Listing Service Online. So I own the company that if you're going to buy a foreclosure in Texas. You would, you would buy the essentially the list of foreclosures from us. It's called the Roddy Report or Foreclosure Listing Service. So that's my email, Aaron at FLS online. I do a ton of stuff on Instagram right now. Like I'm I'm researching the news, I'm researching concepts, I'm sharing and trying to provide value all day. And that's just my full name on, on Instagram, Aaron Amuchastegui. And I run a podcast. My podcast is called The Real Estate Rockstars. Uh, it's mostly for real estate agents that listen to it, but we talk everything real estate. Once a week, we do a real estate news show that talks about what's happening in the world and how it'll affect you uh, from, you know, there's so many neat things that we're gonna be doing on the show this week with real estate news, cause it's changing all the time. So email, Instagram, my podcast. Uh, I'd love to chat with any of you on any of those places.
1: Yeah, and absolutely you should listen to that Real Estate Rockstars podcast, like Aaron said. Lots of data about the real estate market. I know you guys talk all about foreclosure, eviction, moratoriums, what's going on day to day there. So great stuff to listen to there. Um, And, and absolutely, you know, check out the Roddy, it's Roddy report, correct?
0: Yeah. The Roddy report. Some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in the podcast this week is like um, they thought more people from uh, New York were moving to Florida, but now they have stats changing that around Uh, that, Uh, resale houses are selling for more than new homes right now. So that's a stat that just, so you just, so like one of the things that we just talked about, like I'm finding that niche, I'm able to buy the new construction houses really because I'm buying them fast. The resales in the neighborhood are selling for more than the new construction because people can move into them right away. They don't want to wait. Um, You know, that's, that's really interesting to me that like a reset. So we we go into stuff like that uh, on a weekly basis. We try to find the coolest articles and bring them to everybody.
1: Awesome. So with the resales, the new construction, are you finding that new construction in the same neighborhood as the resale is selling for less, or is it just new construction in different areas?
0: Yes, it's new construction. So the stats that they used on this report is it's new construction in the same areas, like same oh, wow. neighborhoods is selling for less than the resales for two reasons. Um, one is the resale gets put on MLS the traditional way. It gets multiple offers because people want to move today. Mm-hmm. one of the things that has spawned the real estate market I- increase is people are spending so much time living at home. They need more space. They need something different and they're, and they need it now. So some the people that are buying right now have been waiting 14 months to buy since COVID started, right? Like people that are buying, they're like needing a change and people want to do those changes so much faster. So and new homes, when you go sign up for them, usually you're booking it in for three months from now. Right, you're saying, all right, I'll I'll give you my five or ten thousand, and I'll move in three months from now. So people are willing to pay more uh, to move in faster. But it's the first time ever, right? So those stats, first time ever that that's been the case that people will pay more for a resale than new home. That's how bad people want to give into houses. And I think the other thing is because of the way that the new homes are, because they do sell them, you know, a few months before they're ready, they don't create the same bidding wars. That normal stuff does because it's not like it's an, there's no emergency. You don't feel this emergency need when a builder says, Hey, I've got nine of the same floor plan coming out next week. Or they're like, Hey, we're going to release nine of the same floor plan. You can move in in 90 days. There's no sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Those nine buyers that would have been bidding for one aren't going to rush in. And then the key for me is then we just go buy all nine. Mm -hmm. So if we buy all nine, we get them for that price that was locked in. If they only released one house instead, those nine buyers would have paid way more for it. But first time in history that's happening. It's fascinating.
1: Cool stuff. A little bit of speculation here. You know, I know a lot of people are moving to bigger houses because of COVID. They're moving out of California to Texas because of COVID. Um, And again, this is just pure speculation. Do you think that people are going to continue to move out of California or one of those other areas when the restrictions get let down for COVID at the same rate that they are now, obviously people are going to keep coming. All these companies are moving here. There's a lot of reasons to move to Austin, but it seems like we've seen a surge during COVID.
0: If the, if the politics of California changes, I know a lot of people will move back to California. Yeah, um, now there's there's still the big businesses are coming here to Austin, right? So there's still going to be the things that are drawing them. The no taxes is a draw. (laughs) Uh, You know, like the no income taxes in Texas, but that's anywhere in Texas, right? So Austin gets to be a lot like California in the sense that big businesses want to come here. They have the infrastructure for big businesses. They're pro big business. And then also there's no income tax. So if someone was making, because a lot of the people working in some of those software companies, they were making they're making three hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, mm-hmm. if they're living in Texas, Austin instead, that's a thirty or forty thousand dollars a year raise just based on their California income tax rate. But it is in some of those other places that people are leaving. I mean, Florida may end up being the biggest winner because they've got kind of some great weather, they've got some great amenities, and they've got relaxed, you know, COVID restrictions. But most of the people I know that are moving out of California are resentful about it. Um, they'll be like, there's no weather like what you have out in California, and they're feeling like they're getting forced to leave. Forced to leave because of the politics. I mean, so when I, uh, a year ago, so December, we moved our family, uh, so 18 months ago, we moved out to Texas. The, uh, we bought a new house in March out here, the day that, that Texas went on, on, on clo- was getting closed. We closed on this giant new house, but we were still gonna live here halftime, and halftime in Northern California. And I'm sorry. So then there's a bunch of Austin listeners. As soon as I say I lived in California, they're going to hate me and stop listening. So I am <laughs> apologize, I am apologizing in advance because um, I got out here by accident and I love it. But when I bought this home, our plan was live six months in Austin, six months in Northern California. And then COVID hit and all of our favorite restaurants are out of business, are still closed out in California. Still now, 14 months later, 13 months later, we went out there in August. So instead of splitting time, we didn't make it out there until August of 2020. When we got there, our church was closed. Our favorite restaurants were closed. And there was just smoke and craziness everywhere from these recent fires. And it was, we were like, all right, let's sell our house. So, but we were, but we were bummed about it. We we're frustrated. So the, it's a really good question. No one's asked me that. I do think that if, pol- if politics change, you're going to see a different sort of shift again in um, maybe to other places. Politics are important with where people live. I think we've seen that more this year than ever before, that one thing that could change prices faster than anything else is politics. And there's even some politics in Austin right now that there are some areas of town that are increasing or decreasing values, home values based on you know public camping and things like that. There's a lot of stuff going. There's some people whose house, uh, there's a lot of homeless homeless camping right outside their house. Their value has gone down. And yeah. if a measure and if a measure gets voted into where all of a sudden they can't camp in front of their front yard anymore, well, now their home values will go back up. So politics affect housing and where people want to live
1: way more now than they ever did three or four years ago. Absolutely. And by the time this podcast is published, we'll find out if the Proposition B here in Austin gets voted up yes and camping becomes illegal again. So yeah. We'll find a lot out here real soon. It's so a great area-
0: example of, of politics that changes property values. Like that, that alone will change property values a lot depending on which way it goes.
1: Oh yeah, there's areas of Austin that have been devastated by just enormous campsites right in front of them. And these campsites are very elaborate. There's not just a tent or two, there's couches, there's cars. We've seen all sorts of stuff, bookshelves where people have their own little storage set up under the overpass. It's intense. It's,
0: it's very innovative. It's very intense. It is, it is, they're these wild, wild communities. Um, And uh, but there's, but it's it's also uh, under overpasses is one thing. It's also downtown. It's also along the river. It's also in some of the most premium real estate in Austin. Um, So they'll be curious to see what happens.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Aaron, last question here. Most important question we ask, what is your favorite restaurant here in Austin? Favorite restaurant. So one that I got introduced to
0: um, is called Sway. And so I think a lot of people, there's two different locations for it. There's one up in the domain, one over by my house. And, um, oh gosh, what type of food do they call that? Super unique, super spicy. Uh, when uh, when my wife and I eat there, we're like, there's nothing quite like this. Um, so let me see how they describe modern Thai. Uh, okay. it's an award-winning Thai restaurants that, yeah, there are a few places in Austin super unique stuff that i had never had before so we, we, we end up going there at least once a month now, if you ask my kids they would say Salt Lick is by far uh, their favorite so they would go eat at the Salt Lick, uh, every week if they could for barbecue
1: Sway's got some really interesting big old tables inside too that was the first time in COVID I felt like I'm eating across from somebody else yeah um, so it's, a, it's like an amazing Sway. amazing place Absolutely. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on here today. Um, Everybody, again, go out and check out Bidding to Buy, check out the Roddy Report, and check out Real Estate Rockstars. You're going to love it. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you.